Hey, it's Travis, and welcome to the Marketing Unbox podcast. In this episode, I sat down with Mason Cosby. He is the Director of Marketing at Mojo Media Labs. If I would have talked to him last week, he would have been a marketing specialist. Talk about how that happened, how he landed the, the role after being laid off in the middle of COVID, having just purchased a house and just proposed to his then girlfriend, now wife. And we talk about engagement on LinkedIn, how he's been able to really start a podcast, sit down with some some pretty amazing people in a short amount of time, build his following, and, and see things really take off from, from an organic perspective on LinkedIn. And we also talk about job titles, what they mean and, and who they're really for. And we talk about things like pricing and other marketing related concepts. So Barry had a really great time uh, talking with Mason and hope you enjoy the conversation as well. Well, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Unboxed podcast. Excited to to chat today. Interesting that that you had had moved to Indy, a town outside of Indy, my, my hometown, not the town you live in, but... Indie kind of, you know, when you get, when you start to move away, yep. like the bigger town, bigger city becomes your hometown, but it's not really your hometown, you know? So, so yeah, always, always down to talk to somebody, uh, from, from the Indy area. So you had mentioned, uh, before I hit record and, and I wanted to hit record cause it sounded, um, pretty cool and wanted to, to capture it. You said that today's been a, a good LinkedIn day for you. And I, Yesterday was a good LinkedIn day for me, so I don't know what's going on. If it's the holidays and people are more engaged there or what, but tell me about uh, what happened and, and, and what was uh, so engaging. Yes. I mean, I I kind of cheat because I was fortunate that somehow, some way, I don't know if you're familiar with, with James Carberry, but this past weekend, yep. he was actually in my living room. So I, I recorded that. an episode with him. So, I mean, when you get James Carberry in your living room, serendipitously, yeah. like that's kind of a cheat. So yeah, that, that was, I mean, posted that photo on, on Sunday night and that got a, a fair bit of engagement for me. And then as a result of that, also, I think I, I in the past just three days have gained about 150 followers. Um, which again, for me, when I'm right, I'm literally one or two shy of 3,000, 150 is a pretty substantial number for me. And then just over the past couple of days, I've, I've made a couple of points that seem to resonate. Like on, on Friday, I got promoted to marketing director. Nice. And I've, I've always been, thank you. I've, but I've always been an advocate of promote people to the highest role that is applicable because titles really aren't for internal use. They're for external use. So mm. I'm also fairly confident that as a result of becoming a marketing director, I've gotten more engagement today uh, and and yesterday and over the weekend, and I got more engagement. I mean, when you when you update your role, I had eighty people engage, <laughs> and then about seventy comments, and then ten people private messaged me. So, really, when when you get a promotion, it shares with your entire network, which is another way that you can raise awareness for your organization. Mm-hmm. So, I just I've always been a proponent of wherever you can promote to the highest applicable role because it again titles are for external use and to help mm-hmm. other people understand what you're doing internally and essentially make them feel more special. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, even on this podcast, I mean, I hate to, to put it this bluntly, but you would probably rather talk to a, a marketing director as opposed to a digital marketing specialist, just by the nature of what the roles typically are doing. But if we had talked about this on Thursday, I'd be a digital marketing specialist <laughs> because we're talking on Tuesday. I'm, I'm a marketing director. So anyway, those are just some thoughts that go through my head as I think through really the role of a title. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, and that's interesting because I, I, before I was in marketing, I was a recruiter, corporate recruiter and titles were important because it, it gave me a chance to quickly scan and uh, understand what's this rhyme with, right? Is it what I'm looking for? Is it similar? You know, and you start to see the, all the creative ways that companies come up with titles. And, and I would say creativity is cute, but it makes it really difficult to know what it rhymes with when people need to quickly see what is it this person does in, you know, two words or less, three words or less. Right. So, so yeah, I think it's interesting that you, you frame that as being for external use as opposed to internal. And I completely agree because of that framing, that ability to, to quickly see and, and make that connection of, Oh, he's a director. I was a director, you know, before I left. And so I know what that entails. I know what it means to be a director lived it. So yeah, I think that's a good, a good point. And, and yeah, I, I saw that you, I saw your interview with, with James in your living room, which was really cool. So, so yeah. So how did you, uh, how did, how did that happen? How did you get him yeah. to, uh, to, to Indiana? Yes. I mean, the, the very long story short on that front is I had scheduled an interview with James. And then we started to just really get talking and he kind of threw out like, I'm going to be in the area. So like, would you want to do it in person? And I was like, yeah, I mean, obviously like this is, <laughs> this would be amazing. So really, I mean, it, it, I, I wish there were like this much crazier story to it, but the reality is he just happened to be in the area for the weekend and said, Hey, let me just stop in and, and record an episode, which was just nuts. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, but yeah, so that's, and then obviously as a part of that, like we actually got to sit down and have a much more in-depth conversations. I mean, when you're typically doing podcast interviews, you, you join in for the hour and then what you get is what you get. But he and I really <laughs> got to, to dive in to some really interesting topics around like essentially kingdom building for, uh, in the business world. And when I say kingdom building, James and I are both of, of the Christian faith. So it's just walking through essentially like, how can we navigate being believers and being business people and really try to build businesses that represent Christ and really dive deep into, into that topic, which is not a topic people typically talk about a lot. So it was just, for me, it was encouraging to see someone that's further along in their career and then has that same mindset. Nice. Yeah. I'll have to connect you with, with a friend of mine after this, Luke Harris, who, who is, is kind of coming at things at, at a similar angle as well. So I think he'd be a good, good person to connect with. He's in the sales world and, but he gets the marketing piece. He's a fan of Chris Walker and, and that's kind of helped, you know, and, and, you know, I've known him through various Akimbo workshops. Uh, and, and so he's a salesperson with the rare ability to, to have a marketing mindset. So, uh, so I think he'd be a great person to, to connect with, but but yeah, let's kind of, while we're on the topic of, of kind of careers and things like that. So, so how did you get into to marketing? Yeah. I mean, for, for me, and what's funny about this is I, my, I have a podcast that is called the marketing ladder on marketing careers. So literally my entire <laughs> podcast is like that one question and no nice. one has asked me. So this will be, for me, this is a little bit fun, but really like for me, when it, when it came to getting into marketing, I, I did get a degree in marketing and I, I got a job out of college and I was selling print ads in a parenting magazine. So I was an account executive and I didn't know at the time what a full funnel AE was, but essentially like I did all the cold calling, prospecting, like sales negotiations, manage the client, offboarding, like having to chase down, but like it was a small operation. It's a parenting magazine. So really mm -hmm. like 
from marketing to customer success. I did the whole thing and very quickly ended up actually becoming our sales team leader just right out of, I mean, again, right out of college because I, I grew up with the, with the father that was an entrepreneur, small business owner um, of a landscape architecture company. And then my mother was in pharmaceutical sales and was a top three sales rep in Johnson and Johnson for like a decade. So, I mean, I wow. just, I was surrounded by business and sales my entire life. So just pretty much right out of college, I knew how to sell. And in also, I mean, my degree was marketing and when you're selling advertising actually went into pretty great depth with Jason Vanover on my podcast on this, on this topic. But like when you're selling print, you're typically selling to small business owners that don't have a great grasp on marketing strategy. So you're not only just doing sales, but you're also walking them through marketing strategy and like how a print ad fits into an overall strategy. And our, we had other products like videography and social media. So I was really able to build these comprehensive media packages. And for, again, small businesses that were just solo owners and didn't really have anybody else, but a bunch of high school staff, I ended up somehow through that actually becoming a bit of a marketing consultant on how to reach parents. Mm -hmm. Very interesting in that way. Honestly, one of the coolest things about it was our distribution model was through the public and private schools. So it went home in the, in the kids' backpacks. And that was amazing until there was this little sickness that went around called COVID and all the schools got shut down. And then we lost our distribution model. We literally, in the span of a week, lost the ability to make money. Sorry, I... It has been a minute since I've walked in detail about it. And about three weeks before COVID hit and all the schools shut down, I'd actually gotten engaged and oh, wow. had just bought a house. Like my proposal was this crazy thing. Like I bought my wife a surprise house and so like <laughs> had a mortgage, had a, not at the time, not my wife, but had a fiance and uh, I was out of a job and I went wow. to, I think upwards of a hundred to 150 interviews. I mean, like literally the next week after I got laid off, I had 15 interviews scheduled and I was going to sell wow. printers. Like I was going to sell anything I could sell. I was going to sell because I knew I could sell something. Mm. And honest to goodness, I mean, I did that for four months and people said, we want to hire you, but we can't. We're on a hiring freeze. So I, I was not valuable enough to the market to get a job. And like, I don't say that as like a, I'm not about, like, I know like intrinsically I have value, but at that moment, I was not valuable enough. I was not enough of a, of a revenue driver. I was not enough of an engine that could work and bring results that people wouldn't give me a job. Mm -hmm. And I finally got so tired of not working. I interviewed for a $12 an hour call center position. And the recruiter is an outsourced recruiting agency said, you are too qualified for this job. Like you've got a degree <laughs> in marketing, like you've done sales and essentially marketing strategy for like a couple of years. Like, why don't we get you plugged in? with this other organization that's about to hire their first dedicated marketing person. And you can go do that. I had one 30 minute phone call and I was actually driving on my way to interview for their customer support role. And the VP of client relations that I'd interviewed with the day before called me and said, Hey, go ahead and turn your car around. We're hiring you for marketing. Oh, wow. So it was just crazy. And I ended up being the, the guy that really built it out. But the problem that I experienced when I started in this role was I, I got on the job. And again, I'd never had a marketing mentor. Like all of my marketing experience was selling a product that was an advertising product. So clearly the strategy is pretty limited. Whereas when you get into a marketing role, like the world's your oyster, like you could do, well, not in the midst of COVID, but you could do events, <laughs> you could do ads, you could do 
um, webinars you could do really demand generate. Like there was a whole world and all I had was a college degree and the ability that like print has a piece somewhere, maybe. Mm. And <laughs> at this point, I don't believe that print has a piece and everything, but all that to say, like I did the basic things that I knew like have to get done. So for example, they had three LinkedIn pages and I was like, all right, we need one. Mm. <laughs> and then at night, my, my fiance at the time was off, you know, with her family in a, in a different state. So I pretty much took every SEM rush, every HubSpot Academy. I took every course in business made simple. And I was pretty much pulling 80, 90 hours a week. So 40 yeah. hours working 40 to 50 hours a week, educating myself because I knew I have to make this job work and it worked. And within about three months, I was actually promoted from marketing analyst to marketing director. Also got about a 50% pay bump, which blew my mind and ended up doing that for about seven or eight months. But that organization was, was very hesitant to execute. So we onboarded with Salesforce, we onboarded with Pardot. Like I set up all these automation. I wrote like four eBooks because that's what I knew what to do is like write eBooks, write sales nurtures. Since don't necessarily think that that's the best way to go about it, but the whole other story, <laughs> like I built out this massive strategy that was ready to like go with a press of a button mm -hmm. and they just, for whatever reason, and I still to this day cannot figure it out, just wouldn't, wouldn't press the button. Wow. And as a result, I'm, I'm giving you the high level overview. Sorry. But as a result, I ended up having this massive portfolio of things that had never been executed. And also in my, in that time, I also became a story brand certified guide. I started to freelance them. I built out one sales funnel for a, a law firm and they paid me 1500 bucks for two hours of work, which again, blew my mind that I made $625 <laughs> an hour. And they ended up making 50 K in a month off of that one sales funnel. So I was like, okay, I do have value. Like I can do something I can execute. And then from there really um, started interviewing at marketing agencies that were story brand certified agencies and got hired on at where I am now at Mojo Media Labs. And they have given me like all the free reign to go and execute and, and really experiment. Our, our founder is literally a biochemist. So he loves experimentation and it, it has been a blast. And it's, it's just been so amazing to genuinely see the impact that marketing can have on revenue and to mm -hmm. see like the clients that I'm able to help nurture is not the right word, but raise awareness for, and then bring into a sales conversation and how quickly they move in through a sales conversation and then how happy they are working with our client services team because they were the right people from the start. Mm -hmm. So that is kind of my high level, everything that I've done over the past, probably five years to get to where I am today. That's awesome. And that's a, <clears throat> I mean, that's an amazing journey. And th there were so many things that you, you mentioned that kind of caught my attention. I think, um, becoming a director, uh, getting into a marketing role with, with no mentor, no one to guide you. I mean, I know exactly how that feels. That's, that's how I've been in marketing pretty much the whole time. I haven't had a mentor at all. No one above me to, to learn from. And yeah, you have to dig in. And if you, if you want to be successful, you have to chart your own course. You have to take control of your, your story, right? And, uh, at some point we'll have to talk about story brand. In that program, because I've thought about that. I'm a big fan of Donald Miller going through his business made simple uh, classes now. And uh, I'm actually putting together my own workshop that I plan to launch in probably February or March. It depends on some, some logistics, but just this morning, I thought 
you know, I was going to offer it for half price and beta and try to get people to, to come and, you know, give me feedback. And, I was, you know, I have one guest, you know, set up. I have the outline and the story brand uh, model is, is one, one, day, one day, one week uh, of the workshop. And that, this morning I thought, you know what? Why am I hiding behind half price? Why am I like offering that? Like something that, you know, I'm not confident in and, and I'm hiding behind it, right? When what I should be doing is is putting everything into it. You know, I, I know enough to do this and my experience is valuable enough and I should be able to charge what I think it's worth. And while I'm at it, thinking about going big, I'm going to actually ask Donald Miller if he wants to be a guest for, for one hour come on in kind of a, a podcast type format in zoom with, with the people in the workshop there. Uh, and then 30 minutes do that. And then 30 minutes do Q and a with the people who are in the workshop and um, I'm going to go, go from there. Right. And so, so it's just, it's, it's, it's a mindset, right. And, and I've said all that basically to say it's a mindset in, in marketing and life in our careers is a mindset. If we, if we put ourselves in a box, if we think small, we'll be small, right? If we think big and we know that there's a lot out there, we're humble, we're willing to dig in and learn and explore and we're curious. I mean, anything's possible, right? So, I mean, I mean, you were willing to take a, a customer service role and, and here you are, uh, not even a week removed from interviewing James Carberry in your living room. And now you're a director, right? Like, it's just crazy how, how things happen. So, and then that, that, uh, project that you mentioned that, that, uh, the law firm paid you $1,500 for and, and got 50,000 worth dollars worth of value. I mean, I'm a big proponent on value-based pricing. And now that I'm on my own and I'm working on projects, I try to price it out based on value. And, and I try to, use a 10 X model, right? Mm -hmm. Like I want to charge you 10% of what I think the value is that you'll get out of this within a year. Right. So you could have actually charged $5,000 for oh, that absolutely. and, and told them, Hey, you're going to get 10 times the value of what you pay me. And you weren't, you wouldn't be lying. Right. So, um, the thing that I'll so throw you could have made $2,500 an hour. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that I'll just throw in on that front though is, like that was my first ever marketing project that actually got executed. Mm. So, I mean, I had never actually done anything that had been put into practice. So, I mean, I honest to goodness was going based off of, I asked a bunch of other story brand guys and they were like, you should charge like 2,500. And I said, okay, I'm going to do like half of what you guys do. Cause I've, I've literally never done this. And I just, I followed a, a model and a framework and it, it worked. Mm. So, I mean, I, I fully like, if I were to go back today, having no, <laughs> knowing what I know now, hundred percent would, would absolutely advocate. Yeah. I should have charged 5k, but mm -hmm. for me, I, I, I didn't tell the story to just be like, I made a bunch of money, like for two hours. Like for me, that was the moment where I was like, okay, no, I'm actually good at this. Cause my day mm -hmm. job, all I heard was go back and rewrite it, go back and rewrite. like the CEO pulled me into his office about six months into me writing content and copy and saying, do we need to hire a writer? Like you're, you're not good at this. Like you, wow. you really need to like, we, you're just a marketing guy. Like we should probably hire somebody else. And it was because 
the industry was a little bit complex and they wanted to like lean really heavily into the complexity and say like hmm. omnichannel fintech infrastructure as opposed to like make making the content simple. So again, mm-hmm. being the only marketing person in the organization, they didn't really know what they wanted. And I, I hate to put mm-hmm. it that bluntly, but I, I, I did yeah. not have the experience or the, the internal politicking know-how to appropriately navigate those situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's just something that comes with experience, right? Is the, Absolutely. The, and, and, and not just knowing when to push back and, and why, but really to have the confidence to know and believe in yourself, right? That I believe in this and I know it will work. And if it doesn't, at least we'll get close, right? And you know, they'll always be testing. That's part of marketing. Nothing's, mm-hmm. we're dealing with imperfect humans. And so marketing is imperfect by nature. So, and so the fact that they didn't pull the trigger, I mean, that's just, you know, it's a good thing that you're not there anymore because you need to get somewhere where you can test, where you can iterate, where you can go into it with the mindset of like Seth Godin says, like, you have to always know, like, this might not work and that's okay. Yeah. Right. So you'll never learn until you get it out there. And like this project you did for 1500 bucks. Now, you know that if you wouldn't have done it, you would have said, oh, I don't know if this will work. I, I'm not that confident. I don't want to do this project. You would not only would you not have made 1500. Now you wouldn't know that, hey, I could actually make 5000 on this. And I think that's part of another thing that I always I find interesting is pricing. Like it's just it's a it's it's a tricky thing because especially in B2B and business, especially when p- other people are spending other people's money, like we have this weird story we tell ourselves about money. And and we take our personal experience and we try to apply it to a business setting and it just doesn't work because you know, I'm thinking of this workshop I'm building and thinking of like, well, what would I pay? Well, that's that, that that's not applicable because I'm not the you know, $10 million, you know, $500 million company I'm pitching it to who can spend a lot more than what I'm willing to pay. Right. So, so I think it's just, and, and, and I just heard Seth and I'm in a lot of Seth Godin workshops. And so he's, he's constantly in my head and he said something yesterday in a workshop and I'm going to pull it up here because, and it was in the marketing seminar and a lesson about free and about pricing. And today I think I, I got into one about pricing, but this one was about free. And he said something that just really resonated with me. And I, I wrote it down. I still have it up. He said, low price is the refuge of the marketer who can't figure out how to do marketing. And so if you can't figure out how to do marketing, your only go-to is, well, we'll just be cheaper. And and that's yeah. just not a race you want to you wanna be in. So... I mean, I, I simply couldn't agree more, but I, I will also throw this out there of, man, there is a massive movement towards a product-led growth model. And I, mm-hmm. I love a good product-led growth model. And I mean, if you think <laughs> about, um, I mean, I, I'm thinking about like SCM Rush that mm-hmm. for me was free for seven days and then it's, you know, 200 bucks a month. But I mean, just the ability to actually get in and use the tool, like you can't beat that as compared to like hopping on a sales demo. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And free, I mean, free is such an interesting topic. Have you read Chris Anderson's book about free? I forget what it's called, but it's basically about kind of the, the dynamics of, of free. I can honestly say I haven't, but I, I'll add it to the list, man. There's so many books <laughs> yeah. Out there. yeah. So many, I mean, I've got stacks everywhere and I don't know if I'll ever get caught up, but yeah, I think free is interesting because there has to be some kind of skin in the game. Right. And And that's why, 
you know, I, I know some people, when it comes to workshops, they'll offer them for free to get people's feedback, just to get it off the ground and get the practice. But when considering that, I just think, man, will they even show up? There's nothing, there's no incentive. Uh, they haven't seen the value yet. They don't really understand the value before they start and enroll. And will they even show up the first day, you know? And so, but with software, you know, I think it depends on the complexity. If it's something that's really difficult, well, first of all, it shouldn't be difficult to use anyway. That's a design problem. And you're going to have more problems down the road if that's what you're dealing with. But if it, if it's simple and if people can get in and they start using it, and I think the, a really powerful uh, platform is one where you put in a lot of effort and it's sticky and you start collecting lists, stuff that are that's in there, right? And now you've done this work. It's kind of a sunk cost feeling of, well, man, I did all this work. Now I need to keep this, right? I ran into that with, with SparkToro because it's one of those things where you can spin up, spin down. I don't need it all the time. And I was about to temporarily cancel it until I needed it again. And uh, and they, they touched on this perfectly where uh, I went to cancel and they said, well, you know, if you cancel, you lose all your lists, you'll lose all the stuff you did. So why don't you downgrade from 50 bucks to 25 and keep all that? I was like, well, the lists probably aren't that big of a deal. I can, you know, I probably won't even need them again. I've exported them, but it was just that thought of that loss, right? That psychological feeling of loss, which is, you know, actually more of a driver than the psychological feeling of gain. So yeah, I downgraded instead of just temporarily canceling. So I fell, fell for that. But yeah, it's, it's interesting how design is everything, especially if you're going to offer free, it needs to be well, well designed and thought out about how are you going to keep them uh, and make them say yes after that trial is over. Or even, I mean, back to the product led growth idea, I mean, Canva, like I, mm -hmm. I mean, Canva is free and it has now become in many ways, the go-to tool for most people that have no design experience. <laughs> and exactly. eventually people are like, man, I really need more functionality and they'll upgrade. Mm -hmm. And it was because it was ironically well-designed from a free <laughs> perspective and it, it just gets more people into the product. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, which tools are coming out every day that make things so much easier to people who aren't professionals in, in that area, right? Like Canva, you don't need to hire a design person for basic stuff. Now you don't need to hire somebody for basic video editing with Descript. And, and there's so many things that are just making things so much easier that people can point to, um, you know, it's bad for, for, you know, business and, and having all these amateurs out there doing this stuff. But again, to come back to Seth, because I was listening to his podcast last week and he touched on this topic that he feels that technology advances and making things more accessible to more people actually will help creativity. And when I thought about that, I thought he's right because now we don't have to worry about all the technical aspects of how to just fix this one photo. We can actually go and be creative now and, and we're less bogged down in just the technical aspects of these tools of what used to be before these tools. Right. So 
So I actually think it's a good thing that these things are coming out, uh, making it easier. Yeah. I mean, I'm big proponent of everything HubSpot. And <laughs> I mean, within my role, uh, the only thing that I don't necessarily touch is design, but I mean, I'm spinning up landing pages, connecting everything, setting up automation and, and pulling it all together because it's all run through HubSpot. So it just makes my life mm-hmm. absurdly easy and yeah. our marketing much more effective. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of HubSpot um, and solutions partner. And, and, uh, and there's a reason for that. I mean, it just think like, so Pardot was your previous role before this one. That's where you set up the, yeah, the so Salesforce and Pardot. Essentially what happened there is the CEO, I threw out the idea of like, Hey, we probably need some marketing tools. And they had, I don't even remember what it was called, but it was the most old contact relationship or customer relationship management software I've ever seen. I mean, it was literally just a digital Rolodex that was alphabetized and you couldn't filter by anything. Like it was just information was, it was awful. So the CEO said, okay, well, whatever we get for marketing, we'll just do the same for sales. And then he took it upon himself and started to request a demo and then said, okay, Mason, go sit on this demo. And then said, so we're moving forward with Salesforce, right? And then it was like, by the end of the week, we had signed. He was a really like <laughs> go fast kind of guy. So we we literally yeah. didn't vet any other vendors. And then we got into it and it, Salesforce is a beast. And yeah. I'm sure that for people that want to really dive deep into it, like it is a highly effective tool for me. I'm more of a content strategy kind of guy, mm-hmm. um, not very technical. And <laughs> that just... I spent more time focused on data management and transitioning data, which Salesforce customer support couldn't help me figure out. So I literally spent a month and a half just trying to get our data over and we never launched any. So it was just, for me, I, it was a mess and I'm so thankful to be over on HubSpot. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I mean, Salesforce has again, pros and cons for me, not, I I just, I like the simplicity and user friendliness Mm -hmm. of HubSpot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, I used to be a Salesforce user and it's fine if that's what you know, right. Until you find something else and realize, oh man, there's a whole another world out there. And and I've recently used Pardot and, and man, it feels like it was bought and duct taped on to Salesforce. And it's just, uh, when you've used HubSpot and then you try to use Salesforce and Pardot, it's just like, man, how, how do people use this? And, and yeah, it's just, yeah, I love HubSpot. It's just so easy. And, and like you said, we're like, Kind of, kind of to that point, what you said is it makes it easy for the people who don't want to be in the weeds of the technicalities of it and just want to create and ship. Right. And, and I think HubSpot does that, makes it easy to do that. And the other piece of it that I, so apparently this is a, an interesting point of view. I didn't think it was an interesting point of view until someone was like, that's not what most people think. But I think that honestly, HubSpot is the best platform for account-based marketing. Like I don't think it's Salesforce. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's Pardot, but and the real basic concept there is because marketing sales and success are all looking at the same view of the customer. Mm-hmm. It inherently is more focused on an account level because everybody's got the same view across the entire organization on the accounts. So you can more easily align as an organization to more effectively go after each account. And then just with the way that everything is synced together. I mean, most people don't even know this, but with the CMS of HubSpot, you can do personalization tokens. So you can actually mm-hmm. do personalized landing pages. So I could build a landing page. <laughs> and if Travis, you were in my CRM, you could come to this landing page and say like, Hey, Travis, good to see you. Here's your industry. Like here's your role. And you can make personalized landing pages at scale, which mm-hmm. are super effective for ABM campaigns. 
Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I just kind of dug into that a little bit this past week and in, in when I was doing an audit and uh, just the ability to even create dynamic CTA buttons, right? That if it's a, if it's an anonymous person who's never been there and you want in your goal is get them to download an ebook that can be the, the, the call to action. If it's a known person, you can change it to book a call. Right. And, yeah. and that's nice because you want to book calls. You want to get that, that higher level engagement, but not for everybody. Right. And so to be able to offer that at scale, but into the people that you want to offer it to very powerful, very powerful. Yeah, I mean, even so, on our website, we're doing that across everything. And it's just different resources, depending on where you are in your overall understanding of maybe it's ABM, maybe it's website development, like wherever you are in your journey, based on what we have in our, in our information and in our CRM, mm -hmm. we then display different CTAs, um, uh, really across the whole website, which is just amazing that I can change five CTAs and then everything is different. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm trying to look at HubSpot through a recruiting lens and, and I, I, fo I focus a lot on recruitment marketing. And so I'm thinking about this dynamic capabilities and, and just thinking about, man, how much better would it be for everybody, the candidates, the recruiters, if you had this personalized uh, functionality, if you knew that it's somebody, hey, we've talked to them in the past, really would love to talk to them. As soon as they hit the site, you have a meeting link, right? Like that's the CTA. Let's Let's talk. Right. Versus, hey, just look at this job, apply with the hundreds of other people going to the black hole. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just what, what you can do with HubSpot. You know, I think from a recruitment standpoint, it could be game changing. So absolutely. One of the things you mentioned uh, when we were exchanging uh, in mail uh, about topics is uh, missed opportunities for yeah. organizations. So that, that was interesting. And, uh, when I, when I saw you mention that, so, so yeah, what, what, what would you say is the biggest missed opportunity that, that most companies make? I mean, I, I think everybody that is active on LinkedIn is already beating this drum, but I mean, I, the fact that I was able to in less than three months, I mean, I launched my podcast two months ago, I've recorded 20 episodes. I've got 26 more lined up for the new year. So the, I'm on nice. track that by the end of February, I would have had 50 episodes recorded entirely prospected through LinkedIn that my, that I, I've, I went from 1600 connections and followers to where I'm now at 3000 and again, two months. Wow. And like, I'm now having face-to-face -face interactions with some of today's top marketing leaders. And I'm, I, I know for a fact that it is benefiting Mojo Media Labs, again, the agency mm -hmm. I work for, because our target accounts are the people that engage most with my content. Like our target accounts are the ones that are actually commenting and liking. And um, <laughs> I, I had a CMO yesterday. And again, I, when I interviewed her for my podcast, I was a digital marketing specialist, but I had a CMO reach out to me and say, <laughs> Mason, it was such a blessing to meet you this year. I still look forward to seeing what Mojo does next year. Like nice. unprompted. And I, I'm not just yeah. saying that to be like, Oh, like I I'm trying to help people understand the reality of the situation is in the grand scheme of things. Like I, I'm not anyone of importance. Like I am a nobody. I I've, I've done some good marketing for a marketing agency for the past year. And that's it. Like that has been 
like the notable things in my career and the fact that I have a following period, like at all end of story <laughs> is insane. The fact that I can invite Sangram Verge, co-founder, chief evangelist of terms. And he says, yes. The <laughs> fact that I had James Carberry in my <laughs> living room four days ago, like it is, if I can do this super low budget, I spend $30 a month period, $30 and everything mm -hmm. else is linked in organic. Everything else is building a podcast. And I know that I'm driving more revenue through that than what most other organizations are doing, spending thousands and it's mm -hmm. only building exponentially. And if you want a prime example, again, I'm just thinking about refined labs. Like I've done mm -hmm. the math. I don't know for a fact what their revenue is, but I know that they charge $31,000 a month. And I know mm -hmm. that their directors of demand gen are roughly managing three to four clients. So you do the math on that. They're probably somewhere in the 30 to $40 million in annually recurring revenue range. And they didn't mm -hmm. exist in 2018. Yeah. Pretty like, amazing. Isn't it? And they built a business on the back of a podcast and LinkedIn. So like, if you have anything that you're thinking through, what should I do for the new year? I, I've been saying, and I'm going to keep beating this specific drum of like, send out a hundred connection requests a week. People mm -hmm. give me flack for that. Cause they're like, Mason, it's not personalized. You're like not really developing relationships. The reality is I post content daily that is helpful for the people I'm specifically connecting with. Like mm -hmm. I don't necessarily have exactly. to send a personalized message every single time, but I'm getting about 70% of people that actually that I send connection requests to say yes. Nice. And by the proximity of being more, having more second connections, that's only increasing and more people are connecting with me. Yep. So again, exactly. 1600, two months ago, now 3000, and it's only continuing to exponentially grow. And again, mm -hmm. three months ago, I'd make a post and probably get five likes and it probably get viewed by 300 people. And for the past couple of weeks, I've gotten anywhere from 30 to 50 and I'm, my posts are getting viewed by 2000 people. Again, that's very small scale as compared to other people that have been doing this for years, but I'm trying to give the context of this has been two months. Yeah. Like two months of dedicated time and effort and energy into it has already generated this kind of result. So again, that, I just think that is the biggest missed opportunity for so many organizations is really empowering their executive leadership team to go and make connections, to actually understand if you want to be a thought leader, if you want to get invited on podcasts, you want to get invited to speak at speaking engagements. Like if you want to really be out there as a way of generating awareness for what you're doing, the playbook is really simple right now. Mm -hmm. It's post daily, connect with people and actually maybe build a podcast so you can invite people that you would want to have buy from you onto your podcast. And that's it. Yeah. Like three things. It's going to be probably two and a half hours a week. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that's exactly the, the, the way to go. I mean, I mean, yeah. Refine labs is a perfect example. They drink their own Kool-Aid, right? Yeah. They they've built it their way and that's how they're helping other companies build it because they've, they've experienced it, it works. And What's interesting is Chris Walker kind of was the, the is the face of it, but now there's more people who work there that are getting out and generating, they're creating their own brand within Refine yeah. Labs, right? Todd Clouser and some other, other people. And I'm going to talk to Todd here, uh, I think maybe after the beginning of the year and he's doing some, some 
killer stuff with with TikTok, and yeah. uh, that's that's fun to see. And so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all about providing value, being generous, being helpful, and in building trust and building relationships, right? And and LinkedIn makes it so incredibly easy to do that. And I think, yeah, I think the biggest thing of that is create value, share, you know, be generous. And you, you know, you said that you're a nobody, but I can tell you, if you're growing that fast, you're not a nobody. You're you're providing tremendous value, and and people are connecting with you, and then they're seeing that value and engaging, and that engagement leads to other people seeing that engagement, and then they engage and follow you, and and it's just you know what you put out, what you give comes back uh, in so many ways that you can't even can't even fathom, and so so yeah, it's it's remarkable, and I. I, I appreciate you saying I'm, I'm not a nobody, but I, I guess what I'm trying to help people understand is I'm not, I'm not a Sangram Verjang. Like I'm not like an, I haven't written a book again. I, I've, I'm, I haven't founded a company. I am an employee. Like I'm, I'm just a guy that's <laughs> trying to do his job. Like, and in that I'm trying to help other people grow in their career because mm. What I experienced, I don't want other people to experience. I don't want people mm. to go four months and and not be able to get a job. Like mm. that that's really why I built a podcast. But I'm also trying to help people understand, like, people, especially on LinkedIn, want to help other people. Like it's it's probably mm. the most positive, uplifting com- like mass community that I've, I've been a part of. And it's it's I don't want to say it's not hard but people want you to succeed. Mm-hmm. Like unlike other areas where you might try and, and, you know, make make an impact. People want you to succeed specifically on LinkedIn. And I'm, I'm just trying to help people understand you're, you're right. I'm not really a, a nobody. Like I am someone that has done something. I'm trying to help other people and in doing so mm-hmm. that, that gets more people. But again, I'm not this massively accomplished author. Like I'm not this massively accomplished business person and really literally anybody can do what I'm doing. Yeah. And I think the more you're out there, the more you engage, the more you share your perspectives and are open to receiving perspectives, receiving feedback, the more you learn, right? Like, I I mean, I did write a book and I was just mentioning today, actually today's the anniversary of me publishing it. And, and I just, you know, when I think about the book, when I think about going through the process of writing it and how scary it was actually to actually press publish and like put it out into the world. It's so easy to hide and just say, Hey, I'm, I'm writing a book and you could be perpetually writing the book, but if you don't ship it, man, like you just, I don't know, you're, you're not being generous, really. You're not sharing your perspectives of that snapshot in time. And I was thinking about it today and thinking there are some things in that book that I wrote about that I don't really, it's not that I don't believe, but my, my perspective has shifted and, and it's not a knock on what I knew or what I thought then. It, what it is, is if I didn't think differently or feel differently about how I thought a year ago, I haven't grown. Right. Yeah. So I think that's just being on LinkedIn, being open, sharing and receiving and being open to feedback and knowing, Hey, I I could be wrong and I want to find out how, you know, how I'm wrong and, and why I'm wrong and, and, uh, what right looks like. And so, so yeah, I think if you're out there, even if you're wrong, you know, you just have to be out there sharing. 
your your perspectives. If you're sharing your perspectives and you're wrong, one of two things will happen. Nobody will see it. Nobody will like it. And <laughs> it will not, it, it will be a blip on your radar only, or people will actually engage and you'll actually have a variety of opinions that help you understand, okay, I may not have been a hundred percent accurate on this. And these other people that know more than me are helping me reshape the way that I think about this topic. Mm-hmm. So you're growing exactly. regardless. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, some of the, I've actually kind of built LinkedIn relationships with people because of things I've said that they've disputed or that they've countered. And I, I've, I learned something and then I, that, you know, just generated that much more respect that I had for them for a calling me on it and, and explaining it in a, in, in being civil about it. Right. And engaging in that conversation so that I could understand the other side of things. And so, so yeah, it doesn't feel good when, when people, when you, you think something and you put it out there and, and people are like, no, you're wrong. Or, you know, I don't agree. But if you take, if you're, if you look at it as with curiosity as why are they saying this? Why are they, you know, why, why am, could I be wrong? And I, you always could be wrong, right? Nobody knows every, anything about anything really. That's where the growth happens. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's where, that's where the growth happens. So, so yeah, just can't be afraid. Just got to press send. Right. And also it's the digital age. So if you make a typo <laughs> and you disagree with what you said, you can always either delete it or edit it. Like, Exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I'm, I'm usually going in and like seeing a typo on something that I wrote a day ago and I'm fixing it because it just annoys the hell out of me, <laughs> but already, you know, 1500 people have already seen it. So it doesn't matter to the five who will see it now after the edit. Cause that, as that thing just kind of tanks in visibility, but to me, I know it's fixed, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's all that, that's all that matters, but Cool. Well, yeah. And, and really appreciate you hopping on. It's a great conversation and uh, we'll have to catch up again soon. I would like to to chat about the, the story brand thing a little bit, learn more about that. And how can people, you know, you're on LinkedIn, obviously, how, how else can people find you and, and connect yeah. with you? I mean, the, the big one is LinkedIn. So I don't, I don't have a website. Like, again, I'm, like I said, I'm just an employee <laughs> at the moment. So I, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. If you are specifically looking for any kind of HubSpot, ABM help, that's really the niche that I, the agency I work for specializes in. So go to mojomedialabs.com. Uh, and then lastly, if, if you're looking to grow in your marketing career, I have a podcast dedicated to that. So just look up the marketing ladder, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts and you'll, you'll find that there. And it is the top business leaders today talking through how they built their career. And it is inspiring. It is super helpful and helps you recognize that everyone makes some pretty major failures along the way (laughs) and that you can honestly overcome those and not be defined by them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I I heard Sangram uh, on on your podcast that that mentioned right out of the gate that he's been fired twice. I think, I think we've all been there, right? Like laid off or fired. I've been both. So it comes with the territory. And Sangram came out really swinging, not just like I've been fired <laughs> twice. He also said, I've been a DNF student. And then he also shared that in the second year of trying to f- like create Terminus, that he was nearly divorced. Like wow. dude came out with a very vulnerable, honest interview. He and Trey Shinneman, Trey Shinneman was episode six. Trey Shinneman talked about how he had to sell his house so that he could afford to pay his bills and how he wow. had to move his family into a one bedroom apartment with two kids. Like it, wow. again, I'm just... I am blown away by 
some of the things that these, these amazing leaders have done to really get to where they are today. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, a lot, I mean, we could go on to another topic about this because I have another podcast called the winding road about, you know, making career pivots and, and kind of just kind of similar to what, what your, your podcast is about. But I mean, we see people when they're successful and we, that's all we see. We don't know what happened, what they went through to get to that point. And usually it's a lot, right? It's not smooth sailing from day one. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it, we opened this podcast with me saying I went to IU. I didn't get into IU. I got, that was the only rejection letter I got when I applied to schools, got into Purdue, Ohio state, well, Michigan. I didn't, that was a long shot anyway, but and I got into everywhere, but IU and it actually pissed me off. And I said, well, I'm going to graduate from IU, whether they like it or not, I will get a degree from IU. And I did. So, awesome. so yeah, you just never, you know, you can't let people knock you down put you in a box. So, so yeah, I'll, I'm going to have to listen to your podcast some more because I love those kind of stories and learning about, about that stuff. So absolutely. And so cool. thank you so much for having me. This has been, this has been great. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed the conversation and uh, thanks for coming on.